I want to talk to you all about some preliminary stuff. You know, if my thoughts seem a little scattered for all this, because they aren't, there's a lot I want to say uh, before I get into the sermon. So my purpose here, that's what I'm going to start with, my purpose. Now I'm here to love, serve, and lead. Right now, the order of that being very intentional, right? I do not think anyone can really lead if they do not first love and serve. And now, obviously, I'm also here to preach and teach. And speaking of which, if you were not here for class, we're going to be doing a series over the book of Daniel, right? Now, usually people just focus on the, uh, the fiery furnace and Daniel and the lions, and, but we're going to go over the whole book. So be there. It's going to be good stuff. There, there is really some confusing things in Daniel, and then from there, we're going to go right into Revelation, right? You know, at first, first time, you know, here and going to take on some tough stuff, but I, I think it's needed, right? People avoid things in Daniel, and people certainly avoid Revelation, so please come to this class. I think you will learn a lot. Now, other things I can do for you, I have a listening ear. So, if you want to talk, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to talk about some struggles, you can come and talk to me, I will listen. Right now, that being said, I am not a life counselor. Okay, there might be some struggles you have that I am not equipped uh, to address. But one form of counseling I can provide is biblical counseling, right? So if you have any questions, concerns about what you read in Scripture, maybe I can help. Now that being said, I don't know everything. I don't. Absolutely not even close. Okay, so I might say, you know what, I really don't know. And I might have to look into that. So that being said, last thing here, uh, I am certified for premarital and marital counseling through preparing a bridge. So if that's something you want or need, Eddie, Vicky. <laughs> but anyway, seriously though, if, if that is something you want or need, I am certified uh, to do that through, through preparing it. Uh, and as I said, that is why my office hours and whatnot reach me there. Now, for the sermon. Since I only did an intro to myself to the class last time I was here, I thought I'd go ahead and do one for you now. My name is Aaron Patrick Hill. My parents are Russell Scott Hill and Carol Andrew. My mom, she grew up in the Church of the Christ, and my dad, he grew up in a, in a home I would call Judeo-Christian. It's because his parents, they, they kind of emphasized Jewish practices like the Sabbath more than the average Christian. So they were kind of Judeo-Christian. Now, my parents, they raised me in Waco, Texas my whole childhood, and they loved me very deeply. They instilled in me a determination to do but it's right and to always work hard, even though they may not say I always work hard. But if I'm honest with you, growing up, I didn't feel like I was enough. I didn't feel good enough. Now, this is no fault to them, but I, I grew up toiling to do the best I could. But my best didn't seem to be enough. During elementary school, I tried my best, yet I was in the summer school, and I even had to take classes for uh, lexivisia, I mean, dyslexia. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so in elementary school, I, I was sent to summer school, I, I just, I didn't feel good enough. During intermediate school, I nearly failed a math class, and my parents were very, very upset at the time that I, I didn't feel good enough. During middle school, I did not make the choir that I wanted to join. I did not feel good enough. In high school, I played soccer, and I just kept injuring myself over and over and over again until finally the, the surgeon who performed surgery on my said, hey, look, you can't play soccer anymore. I didn't feel good enough. 
truthfully, one of the main reasons I didn't fall into mental turmoil in high school was because of my wife and girlfriend. Now, this is no fault of her. Even though she helped me so much, I still did not feel good enough. It was also in high school I, I told my parents my newfound intention of pursuing ministry, and they didn't like this at first. I faced some criticism, I faced some questions. They said, Aaron, well, you know, you can't make that much money as compared to a normal job. Aaron, what about, are you going to support your family? Aaron, what about engineering? Now, this is not me bashing my parents, but honestly, I was discouraged. I did not feel good In my later years of high school, I worked hard on the SAT and AC. To, to get enough funding so I could go to college. And truthfully, a few months in advance before going to Harding, there was some question as to whether or not I'd be able to go. I didn't have that much funding to go. I, I was worried about it. I didn't feel good enough. And quite frankly, I did average on the SAT and ACT. Average. Uh, thankfully, though, in my first year, my parents assisted me. And then after my first year, me and Michaela, we got married and we were you're able to support ourselves. Now, quite frankly, at Harding, uh, I, I did my best. I really did. And partly in part, in spite of uh, how I did on the ACT and NAT, I felt like I wasn't good enough. And so I tried to prove myself at Harding. And I did. I, I did really well at Harding. I did. But there was still this feeling of not being enough. I did not feel good enough. Then in my last year of Harding, I started the application process, right? I applied to several churches, and all were no's on the basis of my, my full-time experience. Not even a chance. Not a single interview. I did not feel good enough. Well, at least I didn't have a chance until April For much of my childhood, much of the time growing up, I did not feel good enough. But let me be honest with you. I am not good enough on my own. See, I know for a fact that each and every one of you in here have felt not good enough in your life. So let me tell you something. You are not good enough by yourself. See, if we were able to be good enough by ourselves, then Jesus would not have had to come down and die for our sins. We are not good enough by ourselves, and that is okay. There's only one who is good church. Now, there's one distinct person in the Old Testament that I know did not go This person is Moses, but before we get to Moses and the book of Exodus, let me give up backdrop for what was transpired up until then. So Abraham, he has a son, Isaac, right? And Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, he was renamed by God, right? Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, he has 12 sons, one of those sons being Joseph. Now, of course, we know there's a feud between Joseph and his brothers, and his brothers get rid of Joseph, and he winds up in Egypt. Now, Joseph, he, he becomes a testament. Right? He becomes successful in Egypt, so successful in fact that he became second in command. And long story short, there is a, a famine in the land that his family settled in, and they have to come to Egypt for some help. 
So Joseph helps them out. There is repentance, and they are reconciled. And then Israel, that is the nation of Israel, right, from this family, they grow up in Egypt, and this is what brings us to Moses in the book of Exodus. Decades have passed since Joseph's death and Moses' birth, and there's a new king in Egypt, a king that does not know Israel's history, a king that does not know Joseph's history, a king that views the Israelites as a people to be subjected. So since the Israelites, they grew in number, and since they had power in Egypt, the king decides to stunt this growth by killing their firstborn, or not their firstborn, their sons. All the sons born to them, they decided they were going to kill them. But there is a Levite husband and wife. They have a son, and they hide him. They send this son down a river in a basket, and then the Pharaoh's daughter stumbles on this basket, takes the son, and then has his mother nurse him, and then uh, the Pharaoh's daughter raises him. And that's what brings us to Exodus chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Text says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating Hebrew, one of his people. He looked at this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Did you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. I mean, it's pretty clear. This is not a great start for Moses, no, is it? He arrives on the scene at a bad point in Israel's history. Right, Israel, they experienced great prosperity while Joseph held a high position in Egypt. Now, several decades later, after Joseph's death, they are slaves. I can imagine Israel probably did not feel good enough. After all, consider the prosperity they once had. Consider that they were growing in number, and now their sons are being killed. Perhaps you have thought about the church. Perhaps you thought of the numbers you once had, the people you have since lost. I can imagine you may not feel good enough. And so Moses, he's born in a, a bad time in Israel's history. Doesn't look good for him. And quite frankly, it gets worse before it gets better. He became a murderer, right? And after this, it really doesn't look good. Verses 15 through 25 say this. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks. When they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughter, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. 
their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So on top of Moses being born in a bad time of Israel's history, on top of him becoming a murderer, the Pharaoh wants him dead. Now all that being said, there is a bit of hope. Right? We see this at the end of chapter 2. Moses and Israel's story, it gets a little better. God hears Israel's cry. Now I know it's easy for us to think that God does not hear us. Sometimes it seems like when we praise God, it's like our words hit the walls and fall flat. Sometimes when we pray, it may seem like our prayers fall on deaf ears, but I want you all to know that God hears us just as he hears Israel in this I would say it gets better than it does, but it gets kind of weird a little at first. In chapter 3, we see Moses, he encounters God in the burning bush. Well, we, we call it a burning bush, but it's not really a burning bush. It doesn't burn in the sense of the word, as we understand the word burn, like you know, fire consuming something. Now, as a side note, I want to suggest that this burning bush is a foreshadow of what God desires for his people. God desires to dwell with his people without them perishing. You see, what is not holy cannot dwell with what is holy. Just like the burning bush, God wants to dwell with us. You see, God knows we aren't good enough, but he wants to be with us all the same. And so he appears to Moses in the burning bush, and he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their pastimes. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send to Pharaoh, send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses doesn't seem to get it, right? After all, I mean, he was raised by someone other than his family. His people are slaves in Egypt. He murdered an Egyptian and the Pharaoh wanted him dead. I mean, who wouldn't feel up to the task to go to the Pharaoh now? I'm sure each and every one of us would say, you know, God, for so many reasons, I can't do that. I'm just not good enough. Moses certainly doesn't feel good enough, and so God responds to him in verse 12. He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Church, how often do we doubt our ability when our ability is not of importance? Moses doubts himself, but it's really not about him. See, God knows that Moses is not good enough to take on the Pharaoh by himself. Just as God knew that each and every one of us were not good enough to take on sin by ourselves. See, it's not a matter of if you can overcome something or if you can do something. No, it's a matter of the fact that God can. Of course, Moses, he still has some things to clear up. 
before taking God upon his promise. So Moses, he asked God his name. And verses 13 and 14 say this. Then Moses said to God, I, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am a sinner. I am. I can imagine that may not have been very helpful, right? It's kind of like receiving a call that says no caller ID. Like, I'm not going to answer that. And so, you know, but there is something very significant about this statement. God's statement of, I am. This statement is absolute. This is God identifying himself as the self-existent, eternal, uncreated, necessary being. See, to be a necessary being means that God is the uncaused first cause. God began and created everything you see and everything that is in existence. This is what is behind the statement, I am. God is absolute. Now you would think that God appearing to Moses in the burning bush and saying all this to him would convince Moses, but Moses still has his doubts, right? He still has his doubts about himself. So in chapter 4, verse 1 through 9, it says, And Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me, or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it in your hand? He said, It's that. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That, you, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside their cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak and went, he took it out. Behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. The water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, basically, I think uh, Moses' objection is kind of fair in verse 1. Right? Who would believe somebody that said they saw a God in a burning bush? Right? So, now, one thing I want to emphasize again, this is not about Moses. This is not about Moses' abilities. You see, these signs are from God, and they confirm who God is. They don't say anything about who Moses is. But Moses is still reluctant. Verses 10 through 17 say this. But Moses said to God, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my God, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God's mouth. And take in your hand the staff, with which you shall do the signs. 
Moses just can't get past that about how he does not feel good enough. And again, I say again, church, truthfully, he is not good enough. But it's not about him. How often have you let your inadequacies affect your faith and trust of God? Oh God, we are a small church in a small town. We can't have much of a impact. Oh God, I am too young to have an influence. Oh God, I am too old to connect with people. God, they won't listen to me. God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. God, I am not intelligent enough. God, I am not talented enough. And the list could go on. We let so many things affect our faith in God. We get focused on the wrong things. We get focused on our abilities or the lack thereof. Yes, we may not be good enough, but that is okay. See, God, he wants to be with you because he is good. You know the rest of the story of Moses. Despite his perceived inadequacies, God, through his power, enables him to free his people. And just as God so freed Israel through Moses, he so frees us through Christ, through Christ's life, through Christ's death, through Christ's resurrection. God came down to us and for us, and that's how he freed us from sin and from death. And that's why he makes us good. I want to leave you with a little anecdote. See, Jesus, he loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He is good. And you may not be good, but he will make you good. So that being said, if you want to be made good, come now. We stand in